Uh, Tonight's Bible reading is going to be from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Uh, well, good evening, everybody. My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at Sorrow Bible Church, and so it's my very great privilege to spend a little bit of time now with you unpacking uh, that part of God's Word. Uh, but first, um, here's a quote to spur you on in your evangelism. Okay, you ready? To preach the gospel for us is to die. To be safe is to stop preaching the gospel. It's a choice we all have to make. For us, we choose the former. I don't know about you, that's a fairly confronting sort of quote, wouldn't you think? Pretty intense. 
Uh, that was a quote that was part of our church newsletter, not last Friday, but the Friday before, uh, where it was reported that um, over the last seven months, terrorists in Nigeria have killed six pastors and kidnapped 27 Christians from evangelical churches. Friends, don't ever, ever take for granted the freedoms that we have sitting in this room right now. Don't ever take that for granted. We have many, many brothers and sisters in Christ that cannot meet freely in the name of Jesus. Don't ever take that for granted. 20 years ago, uh, I had the very great privilege of living alongside a young Nigerian couple uh, who were in Australia um, studying at Bible college. And even back then, they used to share uh, similar stories of, of persecution, opposition. And I remember asking them, I mean, how do you guys do it? How do you persevere? With resolute conviction, they said this. When you put a tea bag into a cup of cold water, what happens? Absolutely nothing. You put that tea bag into a cup of hot water and it infuses out into the hot water. They said, just like that persecution... It heats it up and the gospel shines brighter and brighter. We need the persecution to administer the gospel. It seems the same resolute conviction that was in my friends all that way back then is still evident uh, in the Christians amongst in Nigeria um, where it read that in Nigeria they cannot be preached without casualties. You cannot preach the gospel without casualties. Our lives are increasingly on the line but nothing compares to the excellency of sharing the gospel to a dying world without Christ. Now, friends, um, they are very inspiring words, flowing out of a deep, deep conviction that is indeed the result of the power of the Spirit dwelling in their inner being. But of course, of course these words are frightening and they're deeply saddening because we don't want to wish persecution upon anybody. And it's easy to lose heart when people suffer for the gospel. And it's all intensified when the Bible describes the church with glorious imagery. When we see these descriptions of the church being immense and, and glorious and wonderful, even at a cosmic scale, but then when we look around us at the church and we go, well, it doesn't look all that impressive. It can often be very small and flawed and struggling. And as the young churches in Ephesus were reading this letter, um, I reckon they were going through the same sort of tension. On the one hand, Paul writes of the immense blessings they had in Christ. Um, they had been chosen and adopted in God's plan for the universe. Um, they had been taken from death to eternal life. Um, they were now citizens of heaven, members of God's household. And yet, the one who taught them all about that, do you know where he was? Chained up in prison. How do you reconcile the two things? And so Paul writes, chapter 3, verse 13 here on the screen, I ask you, therefore... 
not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Paul knew. Paul knew that it would be really hard to reconcile the spiritual blessing with what was physically evident before their eyes. And that's why he prayed and prayed and prayed for a supernatural understanding. And friends, that's what we've got to do right now before I go any further. Let's pray. Pray for that supernatural help. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you for this great privilege to be here tonight, to gather as your people. And so, Lord, as we look at your word now, please give us eyes for our heart so that we might be able to know you better and better and know your love for us more and more. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, um, the passage begins uh, with a, a familiar phrase, for this reason. Whenever Paul says that, it's actually a signal that he's about to pray and he's going to pray again for the Ephesians. Um, and it's sort of also is a bit of a marker. It sort of highlights um, throughout the book what's going on. First you get uh, this, these big long statements of um, blessing that God's done in the hearts and minds of, of the church in Ephesus. And then Paul follows it up with prayer, prayer for the Ephesians that they might understand what they've got in their hearts and hands. And again, uh, chapter 2, we had this another, another outlaying of all the blessings that God's given the Ephesians. He's taken them quite literally from death, from being walking zombies to life. That's what God has done for them. He's taken them from being without hope and without any promise in the world and united them into the promises of God that have been foretold all through the Old Testament. He says, you've been brought together, put together. And with those great blessings again, at the beginning of chapter 3, we have this again. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of your Gentiles, Paul gets that far and then digresses, goes off on a tangent. Now, I don't think it's because Paul had attention deficit disorder, that somehow he's gone, oh, whoop, and he's gone off onto a, a tangent. Now, I think the point is, is that he's, he, as he's done that, as he's opened his prayer, he's talking about Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for your sake, he thought, hold on a sec, I've got to reassure my brothers and sisters in Christ. I've got to reassure them. And so in verses 2 to 6, he'll unpack how the Ephesians are part of God's plan, a plan that has been hidden for ages, hidden. It was a mystery. But now it's been revealed. And so he's saying here, don't lose heart because Paul is actually the administrator of this mystery. We read verse 2 here on the screen. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. What we see here is Paul is the administrator of this mystery. It's a special role, a privileged role, a unique role that was given only to him directly from God. And um, it's actually occurring in the context um, of, a, of, a, of a caretaker of the ministry. And in some ways it actually brings to mind like the caretaker of a, of a giant mansion, if you can think of this. 
which actually resonates with, with the whole passage because earlier um, God describes his people as his household. And of course we hear of Jesus who promises his disciples that he's going ahead of them to prepare many rooms, to prepare a mansion for them. And so with that in mind, we have Paul here as like the administrator, the caretaker of this, of, this minist- of this mystery. And you can imagine Paul, you can imagine Paul striding out the front door of the heavenly mansion to greet you saying, let me show you in. Let me show you the great mysteries that have now been revealed for you. So friends, you don't need to lose heart. You don't need to lose heart for Paul because, in fact, he's the most privileged of all. Indeed, more privileged than even the giants of the Old Testament. We read verse 4 here on the screen. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it is now being revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So you go back through the years of wisdom and prophecy. Go back um, to all those greats of the Old Testament. No one knew this. Not Abraham, not Moses, not David, Elijah, Isaiah. No one knew this. But now it is being revealed revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. And it's important here to understand how, how Paul is using the, the word mystery here. It's not talking about something spooky and mysterious. What he's talking about here is a mystery that's been revealed, like a secret that was hidden for a time but has now been revealed. And we read about what this mystery is here in verse 6. Verse 6, here is it revealed. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Church, no need to feel small. No need to feel weak. This mystery is all about you. Abraham, Isaiah, Moses, David, all those guys... Um, They were aware that the Gentiles were going to be blessed in some way. But no one had told them this, not the extent. The emphasis we see here is the word together. Together they were heirs. Together they were members of one body and sharers together in the promise given all that time ago. That's what no one told the greats of the Old Testament, that they would be fully included together with the Jews. So don't lose heart. It's like getting the letter from the lawyer or, or ringing you up and saying, um, you've been mentioned in the will. We initially thought that you weren't included, but we found another page, signed and sealed by God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, that the Gentiles together are sharers in the promises of God. Paul then continues again with reassurance for the Ephesians, verse 7, following here on screen. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm, I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, 
who created all things. Again, don't lose heart. Don't be disappointed about Paul because he has been given an incredible privilege being the servant of the gospel. He keeps talking about how this um, task that he's been given has been a gracious gift, a gracious gift, a role only made, power, um, only made possible by the great power of working in him to transform the least of all God's people to be this great administrator of the mystery. Paul is not worried about being in prison because he has the best job in the world. It's a bit like when the, the, the secret agent um, gets caught, but it doesn't matter because he's already saved the world. You know, James Bond, you know, he's been arrested there in Moscow or some other dodgy place. Um, five seconds after he's emailed the recipe for the vaccine um, to save the world. It doesn't matter now that he's been caught because they're too late. The world is safe already. Paul isn't bothered about being in prison. He has the best job in the world and he has preached the gospel and the world is being saved. So don't be discouraged, Paul says, by his sufferings. And also don't lose heart about yourself. The church might be small and struggling, but it has an immense purpose. The church might be small and struggling, but it has a cosmic purpose. So what was the, the purpose for the church? We're told, verse 10, here on the screen. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Picture this. A small, fledgling church. Now you might picture that that church um, might make known God's wisdom maybe to their friends, to their neighbours perhaps, you might just picture that maybe even a whole city might come to know a little bit more about God because of this church. I mean, if you were stupidly optimistic, you might hope that word would get out and move right throughout the whole region about the, the Ephesian church. That they would somehow have an impact upon the whole region. If you're really, really optimistic. Paul tells his church, no, you have an even bigger role than that. You will display the wisdom of God in the heavenly realms to all those powers. That's the role of the church throughout all time. So that includes us here. This ragged, mixed up bunch that's gathered here tonight in Kiriwi. Our church is making known the wisdom of God to all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And that is a big audience. It's a far bigger audience than our street or our suburb or our city or even our country. Paul is telling us of row 
upon row upon row of spiritual beings, angels and demons, every spiritual power craning forward, looking down at us right now. Isn't that something? The idea of God doing a show and tell. Oh, another thing I've brought in today is the church and the reaction. Well, the reaction is huge, one way or the other. Some are rejoicing, but others will be quaking in fear because the existence of the church means one thing. Friends, the existence of the church means one thing. It has begun. God's plan to reunite all things under Christ has begun. The final countdown has begun. Meaning that all those spiritual rulers and authorities and forces that oppose Jesus, their days are numbered when they'll be finally defeated and placed under his feet. And so, verse 9, here on the screen, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in Christ to be put into effect when times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Remember that from chapter 1, the end of that incredible um, rich passage about our spiritual blessings. This is where it's all headed, to be united under Christ. And so the right response is not to lose heart. Don't lose heart, no matter what you face. So verse 12 in chapter 3, back to chapter 3, it says here, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So with all that in mind, Paul gets down to pray, ready to pray. And it's a wonderful prayer. It's full of extreme flourishing. But essentially it boils down to two things, power and love. Verse 16 here on the screen. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The prayer in verse 16 is for deep inner power. He uses two parallel phrases here. Um, he wants the spirit to be in their inner being and he wants Christ to dwell in their hearts. This is no ordinary power he's asking for and it will take the action of the entire Trinity to make possible. God the Father is asked to do something amazing inside his people and that is to have Christ dwelling in their hearts and the spirit to be in their inner being. And we're going to need this power if we're going to be able to grasp the extent of God's love. We need this power, otherwise we won't understand what God's done for us. And so verse 17 following here on the screen. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's 
holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Friends, we cannot know how much Jesus loves us without supernatural help. It seems, I mean, such a straightforward prayer, a request that sadly I reckon we overlook time and time again. I know I often do. I wonder, have you ever really sat down and begged, really begged God to help you to understand how much he loves you? Have you ever really done that and sat down to pray? That God would make us strong enough to understand just a little bit more how much he loves us? Do you pray like that? And if, I, and if we don't understand how much we're loved by God, then I don't think the church really knows how much she's loved. Together, we need to not get discouraged by the world and how it might shame us and scorn the church. Rather, that we need to be remembering that God loves us. We need to pray this prayer for supernatural heart strength. We need to meditate on what Paul has been saying over the last three chapters. There is a plan from the beginning of time to the end of the world and you, friends, are included. You are a member of God's household. You are in it because he loves you. He's loved you since before creation, at the beginning of time. He's loved you enough to send his son to die for you. He's loved you enough to take you on the basis of grace alone, not by anything that you've done. That is rich in mercy. That is why we all need the power to comprehend and to remember this each time that we pray, depending on the one who can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And so with that in mind, why don't we pray to that end as we close? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we kneel before you and pray that out of your glorious riches you might strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all your holy people, to grasp how wide, how long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love, this love that surpasses knowledge and that we may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to you, Lord, who is able to, able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to your power that it's at work within us. To you, Lord, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.